HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, culture, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. Today in studio, I have two guests, and they are, first, Rawia Bashara. She's the chef and owner of the Middle Eastern restaurant Tannerine in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and she's also the author of Olive, Olives, Lemons, and Zatar, which is a beautiful cookbook. And also we have Jumana Bashara, who is Rawia's daughter, and she is the co-owner of Tannerine still in Bayridge, Brooklyn. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hi, Thanks for having us. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I am such a big fan of your food and your cookbook and your restaurant. It's really a pleasure. And I want to say this is the last episode of the first season, or of the summer season, but it's the first season of this particular show. So okay. I, was, I was really thrilled to have, to have you both on with me today. We're going to assume you saved the best for last. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell That's you. That's what she's trying to say. Yes, exactly. Um, and we are really honored. Oh, thank you. Um, well, you know, as you know, this is a show that's largely about immigrant cuisine and identity and how it relates to food. So I think, you know, both of you with Tannerine, that sort of just hits the nail on the head because um, I've read a lot about how you talk so much about how your restaurant is a way to express your heritage and, and stay connected to your identity. Um, Rabia, I thought it'd be nice just to hear a little bit about your upbringing. You're from Nazareth? I'm from Nazareth. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was fantastic childhood. Uh, I grew up in a very educated, peaceful, loving family. Um, it was all like, when I think about it, it's like, a movie that 
comes rushing into my head with all the beautiful memories from all the holidays and all the good times we had with my parents uh, that I unfortunately lost a while ago. So Nazareth was a part of my life that was unbelievably beautiful. And it's the childhood, you know. In, in general, your childhood is where you develop your personality and you become somebody. So it's a good thing. Nazareth was a good thing. Yeah. Um, you talk a lot about your mother's influence on you, and especially in terms of cooking and, and the career that you've forged here uh, in New York. Um, Palestinian home cooking is a, is a term that I've heard associated with tannerine. What, what does that mean? How is that different than, I don't know, traditional Palestinian cooking? Well, um, Palestinian cooking is Palestinian cooking, whether it is in Nazareth or in any other area in Palestine. It's just that it varies geographically because, let's say, um, the West Bank for a period of time was with Jordan. So they cook the same like the Jordanian people, or they got affected by the way the Jordanian people cook. The, we, the Palestinians of the 1948 that stayed inside Israel, we stayed with our tradition. We stayed with our culture. We kept it exactly the way it was for our grandparents and their you know, ancestors. So... I think that's the only difference that I see, but in general, this is the difference. I feel we have special way of cooking in that area, and it has a lot to do with geographically where we are or where we were at that period of time. And second, my mom was a very special cook. In fact, I keep trying to... Um, be like her, and I always feel like I'm not there yet. So still, still with your very successful oh, restaurant and um, cookbook, <laughs> I'm still not there yet. She was a mother of five children, a school teacher, fantastic wife, a great mother, a great lady, and um, she did quite a lot, a lot in her life. And her food was something that she really did with so much love. We all felt it. I mean, uh, it was for us and for our guests and for everybody. So she did it from her heart to start with. So imagine if she's doing it for people that she really loves. So she was that kind of a lady. And that kind of a lady you always want to What are you thinking up to. when you hear this, Jumana? Like to hear your mother say she hasn't quite you know, met the expectations that your mother, her mother set. I'm thinking that she doesn't realize that she's exactly the same way. <laughs> I had a feeling that's what you were thinking. Yeah, you know, the, the whole cooking with love thing is um, very prevalent at Tannerine, and I think that that's what makes the food so good. Um, my mother cooks the same way that her mother did, um, very um, uh, generous, very hospitable. Um, she loves what she cooks. She likes to eat it. So she's basically serving what she likes to eat. Uh, and I think that she's met the expectations, but she's a little bit more modest, I would say. Yeah. Um, and in terms of Palestinian home cooking, you know, I think Tenerine really um, sought to bring to the forefront food that you would eat in an Arab home. 
it's not the you know the um, basic kebabs and falafel and hummus and things that would be considered probably street food for us, which we were talking about on the way here. You know, those are the things that you go out and eat when you get a sandwich from a truck and you don't want to have what your mother's cooking for dinner that night. So at Tenerine, we really make a lot of home-cooked dishes that you wouldn't find on menus in a lot of Middle Eastern restaurants. And we've been really pleasantly surprised to find that the palate that uh, of our guests is adventurous and people want to eat things that they've never heard of before you know like we serve mluchia which is one of my mom's favorite foods it's a green vegetable in the jute family um jews mallow i believe is how it translates and that's not something you find anywhere in the u.s i've never even heard of that we make it a lot at tenerine and people love it and they come back and they order it more and you can make it different ways you can make it with chicken or with shrimp or with lamb or you know so when we say Palestinian home cooking, that's what we mean. You know, when, when, when my friends used to come over from school growing up, they would eat things that they had never eaten before, and that's because they were eaten in the home. My mom cooks at Tenerine like she's cooking at her home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Middle Eastern food as a category is probably a bit more pervasive in the United States now than mm-hmm. it was when you first opened Tenerine, I would think. Yes. I mean, just, just broadly, whether it be, you know, Lebanese or Israeli restaurants, yeah. people are just a little bit more savvy towards that kind of food. Right. What was it like when you first opened and how did customers react? Was it hard to get pe- convince people to come in and try your food? You see, um, we started with sandwiches and like I started with sandwiches and one meal a day because I didn't have a lot of help. I was like three people crew in, yeah. the, in the kitchen and serving and everything together and 10 tables. So um, what I did is one meal a day and I picked that meal to be one of those meals that my mom used to cook for us daily. Like let's say string bean stew with lamb next to rice and tomato sauce. You have the lamb, you have the string beans, you have the rice. So you have that three important things in any meal. Mm -hmm. And it tastes delicious and it's spiced well. And... I never underestimate people's taste. People have a taste in food. If it tastes delicious and you put your heart into it when you cook it, they're going to like it. And that's what happened. They liked that first meal and then the second and then the third. And then we couldn't even have enough tables to seat people. People started asking for dishes that I would never imagine, like shushbarak. I mean, those little... Um, it's like a dumpling, like, like a lamb dumpling and yogurt. Exactly. I mean, sophisticated things. So people that, who were already familiar with Middle Eastern food would come and request foods that you weren't already serving? Whether you, they are familiar or not, they started getting hooked to certain... Uh-huh. Even in my neighborhood, I have customers for 20 years. They've been coming to the restaurant for 20 years. I mean, I see them once a month, once every two months, sometimes once a week, but they're coming. Isn't that an amazing It's an amazing to your thing. cuisine? It's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And I think because Middle Eastern food, Mediterranean food in general, is a very healthy diet that has all the important aspects for a very healthy life, people are going for it. Yeah. And they... Google these days, they find out about recipes and they get on YouTube and they find people cooking Middle Eastern food and they see that it's simple, it's easy and it's delicious and it's good. And they research what's tahini, what's this, what's that. 
you know, I knew from the first book I wrote, people get very interested about my life and where I come from and who I am because they had a different idea of what we were all about. Tell me about that. What, what do you think the, the perception was before maybe eating your food or coming to your restaurant and knowing you personally? Well, to tell you the truth, I never discussed with them what was the perception, but I know when you used to be, like, um, if people in the street ask you, where are you from, and you say, let's say, I'm Palestinian, they say, Pakistanian, they, they, would, they would never know what Palestinian means. That's when I first came. I came in 1974. So we were not known even. Mm. And if we were, maybe they had the wrong idea about us. I don't know. But I know one thing. Since Tannurin, I don't see that. I see that people, when they see what's in front of them, they believe in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're eating the food. They're meeting the people. I go out to all my tables. I talk to all my customers. My daughter does the same thing. We have a personal relationship with the customer. It's not just about a delicious meal. It's even about the way... We welcome people into the place. We make them, we make them feel like they, they're walking into their own dining room. At least that's most of the comments that I hear. So people, of course they change their mind. If I was from any country in the world, they're going to have the right idea, hopefully. Once they eat your food. Once they eat of their food and they meet you, and they get into the atmosphere of the place, the music sometimes, you know, the help, whatever it is. It's the whole picture all together. My daughter, having my daughter next to me, me and her working together, being a team, being happy. It, so many things together makes people decide whether this is the right place, I'm in the right atmosphere, in the right environment. I like the food I'm eating. Jomana, can you talk about what your experience has been like? Did you grow up in the United States? I was born and raised in in Bay Ridge, where where Tannerine is located. Um, We've had sort of a different experience, obviously. My mom was the immigrant, and I'm the first generationer. Yeah, so what's that like to be so immersed in in the Palestinian experience, I guess, within the confines of Tannery, like as your career and as growing up, you know, in your mother's household? Well, there was always an emphasis placed on our cultural identity. We were, you know, we knew we were Palestinian from the beginning, and I personally am very proud of that. The rest of the members of my family are as well. Um, And obviously food is a major component of any culture, like language and art and music and all of those things. So I really consider us to be cultural ambassadors in a way that we, you know, we portray what Palestinian women look like. You know, I don't know what what perceptions people have in their head. I know that Palestine has a a political connotation to it. I'm comfortable with that. Um, And... I think that if we um, can be an accurate representation of what being Palestinian is, then I'm very proud of, of what we do. I feel like I have a, a, a claim as to both, as a Palestinian and as an American. I, you know, live very comfortably in between both worlds. It took me a little while. Do you have, yeah, did, have you me ever a little felt while to get there. in any direction? Yeah, you know, growing up, you were, I was 
other. I was different than a lot of the people around me, but that was okay. Um, at the time, probably it wasn't so okay, you know, in certain situations. But now I'm more than comfortable in between both of those worlds. Uh, I even feel that way. Mm. Well, I mean, you're I both came when I was business women. I, mean, I don't know. I came when I was 18, and you know, that's young. Yeah. And I feel like I grew up here. I feel like. You did. You spent more time here than there. More than double. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like I belong. I have, uh, like, Berridge is like uh, my little town. Yeah. And I love it, too. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you something. To a degree where, let's say, if there is St. Patrick Day, Tenorine does... A really mean corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> really? And yes. everybody oh, yeah. in 3rd Avenue, Irish, comes to eat it. Oh, Even so the Irish people, they're giving me... Do you put your own spin on it? No, I, you know, without even my own yes. spin. I learned from... What's the man? I learned from <laughs> an Irish woman how to cook it in beer. Jumana's yep. shaking She adds some spices here and there that, you know, probably wouldn't... Yeah, throw eat. a little cumin in there or yeah. something. But, you know, even, even Irish people from bars are coming in to eat corned beef and cabbage. You know, when it's uh, Thanksgiving, we do a great Thanksgiving dinner. And we do Thanksgiving turkey to go, too. So we're involved <laughs> even with all the stuff that makes us what we are, really, which is Palestinian Americans. We are mm-hmm. Palestinian, we are American. And... Thank God, because this is a lot to have to be a son or a daughter of two cultures. Mm. Imagine how rich your life can be if you can really live both, enjoy both. It's incredible. Yeah, you're a really I mean, remarkable example of that. It's, it's, uh, I consider it um, an honor to be able to do that. And I consider it an honor to be able to write a book to commemorate my mom's cookings and my cookings and then my daughter's cookings to the new generation because this is what New York is all about anyway. It's about ethnicity. It's about cultures from all over the place being put all in the same pot. And it's fantastic. This I is mean. why you're here. <laughs> um, tell me about when you were in a, in New York for the first time and you were young and then you decided to open a restaurant. What was what was the impetus behind that? It's such a challenging endeavor to take on. Well, I didn't decide to open a restaurant when I was that young. I decided to open a restaurant when my kids went to college because I knew it was going to be very difficult and I won't be able to take care of the kids and have a restaurant at the same time. So I was doing other stuff, in fact, until my kids went to college. And then I decided to do it. And to tell you the truth, it was a very difficult task. Because even the money that I used to open the restaurant, I took as a loan. I didn't even have the money. I Imagine, think that's how most people do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and everybody said, you know, you're going to move your kitchen into the avenue and open a business. If you think that's going to work, you must be kidding. And that's, that's exactly what, what she did. <laughs> And I did that, and I really wanted to do that. I wanted people to know that, yes, it's the best way of having your own kitchen for people to eat from. That's true. Because this is the best way. Mm-hmm. It's the most loving way, the most delicious way, the most honest way. What else do they want than giving them food you give to your own kids? 
So I eat from the restaurant. My husband, my kids, my friends, my family when they come in. She's had a history of entertaining. So. I mean, throughout our entire childhood, we were well, clearly in both very of your accustomed DNAs. to yeah. having guests around all the time, large dinner parties. You know, cooking was not something that she had to learn, not something that she was classically trained in. It just was instinctual, and she's been doing it for so long that the, the restaurant was sort of a natural progression of what do I do really well that I can that I can build a business out of, and it was that. It was an it was a no brainer, really. Yeah. What are some of the recipes that are in your cookbook or also at the restaurant that are that were passed down from your mom? Well, the first book, in fact. Most of the recipes were passed from my mom. The second book that's going to be coming out in March. Oh. That's right. Winter that's 2018. That's a book that has at least 60%, 70% my own recipes. Oh. But my own recipes from our own ingredients, from our own namli, um, which I want to call the book Valley. <laughs> Uh, like a recipe book? No, it's a namli, mama. <laughs> no. See, you don't know it in Arabic. I don't know it in English. I do know it in English. It will come to mind. <laughs> I will remember. It's stuff that you have in your own home. Like, let's say. The pantry the is pantry. what pantry. Yeah. To. You want to make sweet and sour sauce instead of having sugar and lemon. You take pomegranate juice, tamarindo. And you reduce both of them. You get the sweetness and the sourness from both of them. And you make the best sweet and sour sauce without adding a drop of sugar Hmm. or a drop of lemon or acidity to it. So we have so much stuff in our pantry, in our kitchen, that we can use better than we've been using. And now, because of the availability of all the stuff around us, all the groceries, all the vegetables, all the fruits, there is more variety around, not as good in quality-wise, but a lot of vegetables to cook from. When you see all this available to you, that creates a need to start creating new dishes instead of getting bored of the same old one-kind stew. Now I can make 10 stews. And I can use all from the same, like, let's say, tahini, pomegranate molasses, all the fruit juices, uh, turmeric, all the stuff that now they're putting in a pill and giving it to people and telling them it's the best thing in life for you. Yeah. (laughs) All of us is going to health food stores to buy these things. We use these things in our kitchen. What do you think about that, that you've been using this all along? It's just ingrained. Incredible, in... right? Yeah, yeah. Incredible. So, you know, we're creating new stuff that incorporates all these things and put them together because right now we are more um, exposed to, like, let's say, food from Aleppo, food from Egypt, food from Jordan, from the Gulf area, from Yemen, from the whole Middle East. It's not just about small geographic area. So imagine yourself trying to collect recipes from all these places and try to make the best of it. And we can do that. And it would still be fantastic Middle Eastern food. Otherwise, if I want to call it Palestinian food, I will work with my mother's recipes 
and go from there. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wanted to bring up is that Tannerine has had so much recognition. It's even it's been nominated, even nominated for James Beard Award. It's been written up in Michelin. It's been written up, you know, in the New York Times. It's got, but there's not a lot of other restaurants out there that are, you know, Middle Eastern necessarily, or even like, in quotations, like ethnic restaurants that have gotten that same sort of attention. Like especially one that's all the way out in Bay Ridge. What do you think it is about Tannerine specifically that's been able to kind of um, you know, just just transcend that affliction, I guess, towards like more ethnic cuisines. Because most of like you know the very the lauded restaurants are, are fine dining or, or European derived. How do you think Tannerine has sort of been able to garner attention in that way? Uh, I don't think that, and I don't think that we have to be European or serve food in a fine dining atmosphere in order to get that recognition. To, to be clear, I'm not I, saying I, that you do. I'm I sorry, I didn't mean to think that, I didn't mean yeah, to say that I, you assume that. Um, on but, the contrary. Yes, exactly. Um, the food has to be delicious. That's it. You know, there there might be a situation where we've been, you know, fortunate enough where a critic is going to walk through our door because, you know, Robin Robin from New York Magazine wrote us up in 2004 because they walked by the restaurant in our old location and our hood wasn't working properly and they smelled the food out on the street. And then they came in because of that. That's brilliant. And they returned Just again. Just pump that scent out all day. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it was, you know, there was a flaw in our in our system, but it worked to our advantage. Yeah, I love that. So good food, delicious food is number one. And I'm going to go further to say that Rawia has an extremely large part to play in that. If people that have come to Tenerife know that... She's constantly out in the dining room. She's smoozing all the guests. She's talking with everybody. We both have personal relationships with a lot of the people that have come in. And I think that 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 charm and that charisma, like my mom mentioned earlier, when people come in and they feel like they are, you know, comfortable in the atmosphere that they're in, then that's just going to give more recognition. It's going to it's going to spread. People are going to tell people about it and you're going to you will get more popular like we did. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Well, <laughs> I think it's really hardworking from my heart and from Jumana's heart. Honestly, because we thought that we had a message. I really did when I opened. To tell you the honest truth, so many people tried to convince me not to. Hmm. But I really, really saw what's there and I didn't like it. I saw what people eat, and they consider it Middle Eastern food. And this is what Middle Eastern food is all about. And I didn't like that. I thought, we are so much more than that. I see Italian food. They have all kinds of Italian food, and I love Italian food. That's why I, I know. Look, Chinese food, Japanese food, all kinds of foods. They have fantastic, rich kitchen. When you go to eat Middle Eastern food, you eat hummus, falafel, and shish kebab. And that's what it is. Maybe they'll give you a tabbouleh, you know. But these are very small appetizers in our menu that very rarely we cook in our homes. In general, it goes with certain things, but this is not our meals. This is not our food. And we had a lot, and it's rich, and it's delicious, and... I feel like food is a big part of our culture and everybody's culture. We spend one-third of our life eating. Mm. 
It doesn't matter what kind of food, eating. So imagine when you're eating something that you really love. That's one third of your life, guaranteed. <laughs> also, <laughs> happiness. You know, it's about time. Yeah. Really. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, but following, you know, Asian cuisine or new American or Mexican, I mean, all of those things are delicious and wonderful, but it's about time Middle Eastern food is recognized by all of those publications mm -hmm. that you that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. There's no reason it shouldn't be. Of course. And maybe it has so much to do with the fact that you did change people's perceptions of what Middle Eastern food is and could well, be. I'm yes. not going to give us that much of a credit because others did too. I'm sure there is many people out there that try to do that because they saw what we saw. Mm -hmm. And it's just that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. What I did that was different, it's really doing the real home cooking, the, the one that mothers sit down for two, three hours and do. This is the hard part that we did at Tenorine. And to tell you the truth, when I give it as a recipe, I give it much easier than the way I cook it. Because I know very few women these days with their jobs would like to sit three hours preparing a meal mm -hmm. for two people. So I tried, that's one thing we did at Tenorine, to give them the same taste for less work. So that's another thing we worked on. But in general, there are people that are trying to do this. And I'm very happy about the results and about what's going on because really... People now are hunting for where there is a good Middle Eastern food. Mm -hmm. And you can say Mediterranean, in fact, because anything around the Mediterranean cook with the same ingredients in general. Sure. I spice it up a little more. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Rawia and Jimana Bashara. Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard to get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and I've been talking with mother and daughter dynamic duo Rawia and Jumana Bashara from the restaurant Tannerine. Um, Rawia, I've read that you have said food is your politics because it's sort of a, a way to express your culture and your heritage instead of, you know, I guess having to discuss politics specifically. Jumana, um, Having grown up in the United States, your 
your identity is a little bit different than your mother's. Yes. Um, how do you feel as someone who grew up in the daughter of an immigrant um, in a very, you know, Palestinian home? How do things feel for you, like in the current political climate? Not speaking specifically about like Palestinian conflicts or you know anything related to that necessarily, but more as like your American identity. I feel that the current political climate is unfortunate. I think it's sad that um, there is a lot of division among people. I think um, fear is something that nobody should ever feel, regardless of where they come from or who they are or what country they're in, whether it's you know the United States or France or wherever that may be. Um, I think that there are certain things that we can do on a human level to sort of bridge the gap. Case in point is Tenerine and what we do there. Um, uh, I don't want to get too much into specifics about like what what I, you know, who I support and who I don't support. But I just think that the unpredictability that comes along with the current political atmosphere is um, uh, confusing to a lot of people. And like I said, fear is something that I don't think anybody should ever feel. And I would like to do whatever I can in order to bridge that gap, whether that be just having a conversation with somebody or, you know, I don't know what that would entail. I just I know that it's not comfortable right now for a lot of people, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on. Yeah. Does that ever reverberate into the restaurant? Like, do you ever feel um, any sort of repercussions of like anti-immigrant sentiment or anything like maybe from outsiders coming in? Like I've just heard from other restaurateurs and people that they've experienced that a little bit, like even amongst diners, that it's it trickles down sometimes. You know, we haven't had any specific instances of that at all, honestly, and I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. There are certain times where we are baited into speaking about politics strictly on, on the Palestine level, and depending on who we're talking to, sometimes we'll take the bait and sometimes not, but generally we like not to talk politics at our business. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Even though we both have very strong personal opinions about it, um, but that can be, you know... Th- we have to judge when is the right time or place to talk about those yeah. things. But in terms of like the daily, um, our diners and our guests that come in, no, we haven't had any issues at all. Yeah, I like the in idea fact, that we oh, had sorry. a little thing after the election. Some people came into Tenerine, very old couple, like in their, I think they're in the late eighties, if I'm maybe even more, I don't know, but they came in from upstate telling me that they felt like they don't want to be in the States right now because of what's going on. That's exactly the words they said. And they went to the UN in the morning. They spent their morning in the UN. And then they came to Tenerine to have dinner because it's comforting. Yeah. That's, they, they considered it a comforting zone, which is a nice thing too, you know. And these are strictly American people. And even the husband, I think, was a professor somewhere. Whatever. You know, this is exactly what they told me. So we, I got that kind of attention. Not the opposite kind the of attention. Kind. Yeah, you know, that's I think something so. that's, that, that we did see a lot. That's a lot wonderful. of young yeah. immigrants, a lot of Arab Americans, a lot of Palestinian Americans that besides wanting to eat food that tasted like their mother's food, wanted to come someplace where they felt like it was... 
a sanctuary. And I mm-hmm. use that term specifically yeah. because of, you know, that it's been coming up a lot in the in the news recently. But there are a lot of people that come to Tenerine and say, we want to be here because we feel so comfortable being here right mm-hmm. now. And somehow, somehow, yes, food is politics. If there is something that can make 10 people happy from 10 different countries in the world, sitting on the same table, students from a university, one Chinese, one Indian, one American, one Middle Eastern, one Egyptian, one whatever. You find them all sitting in the same table, laughing, having a great time. What's the, com- the, the, the thing that's in common? It's the food. Mm-hmm. The universal so, experience yes, is what James Beard said, right? It is politics. It does put people together. It makes happiness where it is. Mm-hmm. It's politics. So I, I can look at it that way. Yes. I think so. I think that's really nice. Actually, I want to end on that note because that's lovely. And yeah. that's that's such a good message to, to send out and end um, the show with. But tell us where we can find Tannerine. We are in Bay Ridge on the corner of 76 and 3rd Avenue, 7523 3rd Avenue. And I want to just send a quick shout out to our staff if anybody's listening we appreciate you, and we thank you very much. We couldn't have done it without you. And um, look out for our second cookbook, titled To Be Determined, being published by Kyle Books in winter of 2018. Oh, I have a shout-out, too, actually. Yeah. Um, Michael Harlan Turkel, he's a host on the of the food scene on Heritage Radio. He had a book come out today called Acid Trip about vinegar. I told him that I would ask you what is the secret to your sojuke because he says it's his favorite. Yeah. It's the hot sauce. It's, it's our not- homemade hot sauce. Okay. Yeah. All right. I guess that's that's as that's far all we're saying. That's yes. all you're saying. Okay. <laughs> Michael, you got to come back in in order to get the details. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And um, can we find you on the internet? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Twitter? Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Excellent. Uh, well, Jumana and Rawia, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you, and it really was just the perfect ending to uh, what was a really just meaningful and thoughtful season. So thank you, Heritage Radio, for thank letting you, us Sarah. have the show. Thank you, Heritage Radio. Um, thank you. We're going to take a break here at, at Heritage Radio, and we'll be back with the second season of Food Without Borders, same uh, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. We'll be back the week after Labor Day. So. Happy end of the summer, everyone. See you then. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.